Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Girly Homesteader podcast. Today is all about sourdough experimentation number two. I am happy to report that my starter is actually working and growing now. Um, So I'm going to talk all about that and the things that I have made so far. Welcome to the Girly Homesteader Podcast. I'm your host, Laura, a part-time homesteader with a full-time love for makeup. This podcast focuses on traditional homesteading topics like gardening, chickens, beekeeping, hunting, fishing, being in harmony with nature, food preservation, cooking, etc. But it also touches on the girly side of things like non-toxic skincare, makeup, and homekeeping. So, If you're ready to learn more about homesteading and keep your girly side along the way, let's get started. Before we get started, actually, I need to apologize for the sound quality of this episode. I forgot to put the cover that goes on my mic that prevents some of the feedback. Um, So in this episode, you are going to hear a lot of like puh sounds, like hard P sounds. So I apologize for that. Next week will be better, I promise. So if you follow me on Instagram, you probably saw the big saga that I had with my sourdough starter. So last time I talked about it here on the podcast, I was having a lot of trouble getting my sourdough starter to actually do anything. I think at that point when I was recording, um, my starter was starting to smell a little bit more like bread or like beer. And so I knew that I was very close, but I was also very impatient. So one of my clients, um, because I am a personal trainer, so one of my clients, her husband is really good at baking bread. I've had his bread before. And she had been offering, you know, if you want me to bring you some of his discard, some starter for you to get yours going, just let me know. And so I gave in because I was being impatient. And also, um, I'm going to be having a celebration with my family, um, kind of mid end of December. And part of that is me bringing sourdough bread to make, um, uh, to make, I'm totally blanking on what it's called, but anyways, I need to bring, bring some bread. And so I wanted to be at the point where I could be like, you know, confident enough in my bread baking abilities to actually be able to bring some. So I took her up on the offer. So one day she brought me her husband's starter and it was beautiful. And oh my goodness, when I opened it up to smell it, it was definitely very, very tangy and it is nowhere near the kind of smell that I was getting from my own starter. So... Again, if you follow me on Instagram, you will see the kind of, uh, I don't know, metamorphosis (laughs) that my starter had taken on. So when I brought this new one home, this actual true active bubbly starter that has been growing for at least a year, um, I decided to keep that one going and to also keep mine going that I had started from dehydrated starter and then also to combine both of them and just to experiment just to see what happened because of course I am new to this and so I just wanted to you know learn as much as I could so obviously the starter that I inherited from my client's husband um that was you know so healthy so wonderful and I would just feed it as I had been feeding mine 
And the beautiful thing is that I learned that I wasn't doing anything wrong. Now, I do think that I might have been overfeeding my starter that I was trying to get going. Um, Actually, when I recorded the previous podcast episode about sourdough starter, which was about three weeks ago now, maybe two, um, I was trying to really, really get it going. I tried the wheat flour and I tried feeding it twice a day. I also tried a combination of all-purpose flour and wheat flour and really nothing was working. So my client's husband, he stressed that I can, if I want to, I could feed his starter twice a day, but that it really preferred to be fed just once. And so because I was already feeding three, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to drop down to once with the one that I had started myself. And so I had three starters going in my kitchen and there, there was a lot of discard there for a while, (laughs) um, But the cool thing, though, is that, as I said, I was able to, you know, like confirm the fact that the way I was feeding the starter um, wasn't wrong. You know, I was also able to confirm that the spots in my house were actually plenty warm to get a starter going. Um, Because in last episode about sourdough, I told you guys how I was trying all sorts of places in my house. I was trying in the oven. I was trying by the fridge. I was trying on top of the fridge. I was trying by the register. And nothing was working. Well, the starter that I inherited from my friend, well, I just let that one sit on the counter and it would double and triple in volume just as it should. So what I learned is that I was just doing way too much. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I was doing way too much. Um, What's interesting is that the combination starter, so a little bit of his, a little bit of mine, um, that grew and was just as happy as the one that I inherited um, from my friend. And so it was just cool to see that happen. But of course, my starter wasn't doing anything. But the good thing is that I was able to bake and I was able to make a few loaves of sourdough bread with that starter that I had inherited. Um, But then one day when I was feeding all three starters, I potentially could have mixed like the tiniest, tiniest bit of the other starters into mine. And after that, mine actually started growing. And when I say like the tiniest, tiniest bit is I mean like residue that was just left on my finger from mixing up the other ones because essentially I would mix it up with my spoon wipe the spoon out with my finger and then move on to the next one. And so that little bit of residue, I think, is what kicked off the starter that I had started on my own. Um, And that is the one that I decided to keep because uh, I already told you last episode that we had a lot of chicken casualties recently. Um, And when I was going through all of this sourdough drama, that is when my little white leghorn Nana passed away. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to name my sourdough starter after her. And so I just had a very emotional attachment to that starter that I had started on my own. And so I decided to name it Nana Bread. (laughs) Um, So Nana Bread is the starter that I currently have going in my kitchen. I have since gotten rid of the other two. Not that they weren't good or anything. It's just that I did not want to have three starters going at the same time. That's just unnecessary. So I made 
some different things with all of the discard and stuff like that. Um, and I'll get to those after the break, but um, I will say my current starter that is going right now, um, I am feeding it about mid-morning or so, but honestly, I have gone a couple days, not a couple days, but I have gone one day um, without feeding it until like evening, and then I feed it in the morning, and I'm really just not being that super careful about it. Um, I am doing a 50 gram, like I'm doing one part of each. So I'll do 50 grams of starter, 50 grams of all-purpose flour, and 50 grams of water. And the nice thing is I can just leave it on the counter and it is perfectly warm, perfectly happy, and it doubles, even triples in volume by the six hour mark. And so I'm super, super happy to have my starter alive and thriving. Um, I am continuing to feed it daily and I do have a jar of discard in the fridge that I'm keeping on hand. Not that I really have anything like... I don't know, not that I'm really keeping it on hand to continuously bake something all the time, but I just, I don't know, from all of that starter that I saved when I had three going at the same time, I just developed, you know, a big excess and I just don't want to really toss it out. Um, I will say though that my chickens, and I mentioned this last time, but I have been mis mixing the discard with some of their chicken food from Grubly Farms and water. And essentially, I am just like feeding the starter with chicken food. And I swear, I will let that ferment about the same amount of time as the, you know, as a regular starter when you feed it. And my chickens go crazy for it. I swear, they gobble it up. And they are so, so happy to eat it. And like you can almost tell the days that I don't do it, that they are very sad that they don't get it. Um, so yes, my chickens are super happy eating that discard fermented with their food. Um, and to me, it seems like it would be a great thing for them. Lots of, you know, probiotics, um, wonderful, you know, fermented food. And they all seem to be happy and thriving. So um, that is very, very exciting. Oh, while I'm on the topic of it, I know that this is an update and I definitely generally don't mention those until next month. Um, but one of our new little girls from June laid her first egg yesterday. Um, this is, her name is Plum and she is a black Australorp and she is now the second black Australorp that we had. Um, she was an extra chick, quote unquote, from our chick order back in June. Um, and I swear she has done so, so well with this first egg. Um, she was, you know, squatting for me a couple times. Her comb is really, really red. She's definitely showing curiosity towards me and my husband. And we were thinking like, all right, she's going to be the first one of the little girls. And so yesterday we came home from running errands and I looked in the coop and instead of finding two eggs, I found three and the third one, it was pale in color, just like our other black Australorps eggs were. Um, it's tiny, you know, tiny compared to the other ones. Um, but honestly, it is a pretty darn good size, like first egg. I haven't cracked into it yet, so I don't know if there is a yolk in there or not. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely super, super excited. And I'm really hopeful that this means our luck in the chicken world is turning around because we sure need it. So after the break, I'm going to go into some of my experimentation with some recipes that I have made um, and talk all about that. 
This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Beauty Counter, the non-toxic skincare brand that I've been using for over two years now and has absolutely saved my skin. As a homesteader, you put so much thought into your gardening and animal husbandry practices because you know the benefits to your health, but your skin is your largest organ. So when you switch to non-toxic products, you can improve your health even more than what you've already done so far through homesteading. Click the link in the show notes to shop with me. All right, so first I am going to talk about probably the two biggest successes that I had. So the first one that I tried was making crackers and I did this honestly just because I had all that excess of discard, like I said, and um, I wanted to use it for something and I thought, okay, crackers would be nice because they will hopefully last us longer than like a a loaf of bread and they're also not (laughs) not as bad for you as if I would make cookies or brownies or something like that. So I decided to make crackers and I made a double batch of them. I referred to the recipe from King Arthur Flour and this recipe used a mix of all-purpose and also wheat flour. And it was very simple to do, very simple to make, and these crackers are delicious. (laughs) So, so good. Now, I will say, I did alter the recipe a little bit just by adding um, some herbs. I added some rosemary and I think some sage to mine. And they were really, really delicious. I made those, gosh, Thanksgiving weekend. And now it is December 5th when I'm recording. Um, And they have still, well, (laughs) we've been eating through them very, very quickly just because they are so good. Um, They almost taste like they have cheese in them. And I'm guessing that is the tanginess from the sourdough. Now, I will say, though, um, That is not a recipe where you use the discard and then let the dough ferment at all. Um, You do let it set in the fridge for a bit, but not long enough where the gluten would hopefully break down in the way that I would prefer it to. Because, I mean, that's the point of me making sourdough. Um, I said that last episode, but my husband and I have both noticed that when we eat sourdough, our gut health is a lot better than if we would eat typical Um, gluten containing foods and so these crackers I mean we're not eating so much of it that it's been affecting our digestion but something that I may want to experiment with in the future is finding a recipe that allows the dough to ferment I'm not really sure Um, but basically the recipe it was the all-purpose flour the wheat flour salt starter of course and then butter and you would cut the butter into the into the dough essentially as if you were making a pie crust. You let it chill, you roll it out nice and thin, cut it with a pizza wheel and um, put some fine salt on top and then bake them. Um, They were really, really good and super easy to make. So I will definitely make those crackers again. Um, The other success that we had was making pizza dough. And honestly, I was pretty nervous to try this. And again, I wanted to try it just because I had all of that discard and I wanted to look for a recipe that actually did allow the dough to ferment. And so I referenced quite a few different recipes. So there's not one specific one that I can link to. Um, I will link to the cracker recipe in the show notes. Um, But in in regards to the pizza dough, uh, there was, 
I was kind of combining a bunch of different things. And so I did make an Instagram post about it. Um, so I can link to that as well. And But anyways, the pizza dough recipe I followed, it did have olive oil in it, along with the flour and the water and the discard. And so when I was making this, I highly doubt that it was too humid in my house, but to me, the dough seemed super, super wet. And so I, I don't know, I definitely didn't do it exactly according to these recipes at all. Um, the recipe I was following, it said that it made four pizzas out of one batch. And so what I did is I divided up the dough as wet as it was um, into four and three of those balls I put into the freezer in saran wrap. Um, that's definitely not the way that I want to store it in the future and so I'll get to that in a second. But the one that I was going to work with that day, I again, I thought that it was way too wet and so I added more flour to it and that was after it had fermented. Um, I did make this in the mixer and so I used my dough hook to do it to knead it and it turned out just fine um but yeah that dough ball that I was going to be working with because it was so wet I did add some extra flour and then so what I did which I think is pretty smart <laughs> is I took a jar like the same type of jars that I've been using to hold and feed my starter so it's a wide mouth pint jar I coated the inside of it with olive oil so I just rubbed my I just poured a little bit of olive oil in there, used my hand to kind of coat the inside of it, and then I just plopped the pizza dough in there and let it rise. And so by the time it was like, I don't know, four o'clock in the afternoon, it had grown a lot. It had doubled, almost even tripled. And so at that point I was like, okay, I'm going to calm this down a bit because <laughs> I wasn't ready to make the pizza. And so I put it in the fridge. And that was just fine because also these recipes that I was referencing, it says that you are supposed to put your dough in the fridge before you work with it anyways. So once it was time to make the pizza, um, my theory was that because I had oiled the inside of the jar um, that it would just kind of slide right out. And did it slide out perfectly? No, but it definitely was a pretty darn clean jar. Um, like I definitely think it would work again to try and do that in the future. Now, my goal here is to be able to make four pizza doughs at a time and then put them into containers that are oiled and then put those in the freezer. And then all I would have to do the day of the pizza making is take it out, let it defrost, and of course, let it rise in that same container. So I probably will use plastic for that, but at least for the ones that I currently have in the freezer, I'm just going to do it this way with the glass jar. So anyways... Once we got to the point where we were ready to make the pizza, I just plopped the, <laughs> the dough out of the jar onto some parchment paper, and I had that on top of a cookie sheet, and we assembled the pizza. Um, so I just put on some pizza sauce, cheese, pepperoni, some of the banana peppers that I had canned, um, some good Italian herbs, and that's about it. But then what we did is we used a pizza stone in the oven. And so what I would change for next time, actually Wednesday, the day that this episode comes out is going to be pizza night. Um, what I would change is that I would let our pizza stone heat up even more. Now, this isn't a true pizza stone. This is something that came with our grill. It's like a ceramic sort of a disc that you are supposed to put in the grill when you smoke things. 
um, just to make it more indirect heat. But anyways, this thing will hold a pizza. And so we put it in the oven, let it preheat to 450. And I thought we had let the pizza stone stay in there long enough. Um, but gosh, what I was reading online, it said that you should let it preheat anywhere from like a half hour to an hour. And so we only let it preheat for probably a half hour or so. But anyways, the point of that pizza stone is to make really, really good contact, hot, hot contact with your pizza crust. That way you get a nice crispy pizza. So we put the pizza in and it baked for probably, I don't know, 12, 13 minutes or so at 475. And when we took it out, it looked like it was nice and golden on top. And we were pretty sure that it would be nice and crispy on the bottom. And it wasn't. I mean, it's not like it was bad or anything. It's not like it was gooey, but it definitely wasn't the crisp that I was expecting. Now, of course, could this be because of the parchment? Potentially, but I do think that we probably just needed to heat up our pizza stone even longer. But what I was so impressed about is that the pizza actually held its shape. So like when you picked up the slice, it didn't just like flop over and make it really hard to eat. It actually held its shape. And oh my gosh, this pizza dough was so, so good. It had such good flavor. And I swear there is no way that we will be going back to frozen pizza. Um, because for us, frozen pizza night, I will be honest with you, is one of the best nights of the week. Um, it's nice just because both of us get excited for it. We have a big old salad for, with it. And generally, we have a bourbon when we are eating. And it's just like, I don't know, it's just a thing that we do and we look forward to every week. And it's generally on the nights when I come home latest and we have the least amount of time just because it is something that's quick and easy. But honestly, as long as you remember to take this dough out in time, especially if it's like pre-made and in the freezer, I mean, geez actually spreading out the pizza dough and putting on the toppings really isn't that hard. Um, because when we would make pizza night anyways with the frozen pizza, the pizzas that I was buying, they were like a gluten-free crust and they were just cheese and sauce. And so we were already adding our toppings to it. So really the act of spreading out the dough, putting on a little bit of sauce and some cheese is really not all that hard. So I am super excited, super, super excited about this sourdough pizza dough discovery. I just am ecstatic because it makes pizza night even better. And um, the dough is just so, so good. So anyways, that's enough about those two things. Um, my experiments with bread, they have, Sorry about that. I had to take a quick break. I heard someone at the front door and it scared me. Anyways, um, my experiments with bread making. They have gone okay. Um, my bread looks very pretty, but it hasn't been doming up and getting as round as I am hoping it would be. Um, I am getting better at learning when my dough is needed enough. Um, but I think what I've been doing is overproofing my dough because it just kind of stays flat. So I mean the dough or the, the bread is delicious. It still does have a good amount of bubbles in it. But it's just kind of flat and long, which I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It would make a, a great, you know, bruschetta, which is what I meant to say earlier in the episode. That's what I'm going to be contributing to this family meal. But anyways, so the shape of my bread right now would make a great bruschetta. But ideally, I'm looking for a bread loaf that will get a little bit higher. So it's a little bit more appropriate for making sandwiches. Um, so I've experimented 
with a lot of different things, <laughs> which is of course probably what is screwing me up, but I have been experimenting with different methods of baking. Um, I've read a couple different things. I've read that you should have your oven super, super hot and that you should also have your, um, your Dutch oven hot and preheated too. And then you put the dough into the hot Dutch oven. In my opinion, that made the bottom of the loaf a little bit too hard for my liking, so I didn't really like that. Um, the last two times that I have baked, I have put my dough into a cold Dutch oven and then put the cold Dutch oven into the cold oven. And then what I have done is I have turned the oven on and then you turn it up to like 475, I think, and bake for about 20 minutes. And then after that, you can take off the cover and continue to bake it so that you get some color on the loaf. Um, for me, I think that has made a very beautiful, crisp, uh, not crisp, but like a very shiny crust. Um, there's just something about it that has made it very shiny, very pretty. Um, but the other thing that I've experimented with too is not using parchment paper. Um, I showed this on Instagram as well. But what I purchased off of Amazon is called a bread sling. And it is made out of silicone. And essentially you just layer that into your Dutch oven. And you put your dough on top of it. And it has handles that stick out of the Dutch oven so that you can easily transfer it out of the Dutch oven onto the cooling rack. And this thing I love, <laughs> I love. It came in a two pack, so I'll link to those in the show notes as well. Um, but it came in a two pack and I think that it makes the bottom of the, the loaf very nice. Um, it's still definitely dark, which is pretty, but it's not like so crispy that it hurts your gums or anything, you know, because sometimes you break, you bite into a loaf of bread and it's like just too crunchy or too crispy on the outside. And it almost like rips up your gums and in the inside, like the roof of your mouth, you know, and I don't really like that. So anyways, I've been experimenting with those methods of baking, but what I'm starting to realize is that I am overproofing my dough, I think. Um, I have continued with just mixing and kneading my dough in the mixer because you know what? I really don't care. I am not going to, you know, just take hours and hours and hours to knead it by hand. I'm just not. I'm sorry. So I've been using my mixer and my mixer has been doing just fine, but I think my problem is that I am overproofing my bread um, before I put it in the oven. So that means it's rising too much. And I think that's just because it's too hard for me to tell how much it's grown in the KitchenAid mixer bowl. Um, so actually I have asked Santa <laughs> for um, a clear, like a Pyrex mixing bowl to put on there because I think it'll be easier for me to see how much the bread has grown, if that makes sense. Um, so I'm hoping that once I get a better handle on that, my loaves will start to rise a little bit more and get a little bit taller. Um, cause the book that I've been referencing every or sourdough every day, it says to let your bread proof only 30 to 50%. And as I said, with my bowl that is not clear, it is very hard to tell. And in the reality, the you know, grand scheme of things, I'm probably letting it proof like 60% maybe. Um, so I don't know. I need to experiment with that some more. Maybe next time I should actually be diligent and just transfer it into a clear bowl. That way I can see instead of just being lazy and wanting to conserve dishes. <laughs> um, but then the other thing too is that I think I might want to get a better size or like better proportioned 
um, Dutch oven because I have two Dutch ovens. I have one that is tiny, which is too tiny to bake bread. And then I have one that is really big, but it's not necessarily tall. It's just really wide, like kind of a shallow wide one. And so the bread is kind of taking the shape of that. So I'm not really sure if that depends too. I don't know. I do have a cast iron Dutch oven that's not enameled. And so I could try to experiment in that, especially because I do have this bread sling. Hopefully that would make it, you know, work out just fine. I don't know. It, it probably doesn't matter if it's cast iron versus, um, versus enameled, but whatever. So that's probably going to be my next experiment. I'm going to try to not let the dough proof as much. And then I'm also going to try uh, baking in a different shaped Dutch oven. Um, but really, the bread has tasted delicious. I love having it. We are going through about a loaf a week. It's wonderful to have it in the mornings. And I just cannot believe, you know, that a couple years ago, I was like a bread, like anti-bread person. I was. I mean, I'm a personal trainer. I come from that background where carbs are bad and that you shouldn't eat them. And especially you should not be eating bread with every single breakfast. And now I've just discovered that this sourdough bread being made from scratch with good ingredients, it really does wonder wonders for my digestion. And um, I love having it around. I do. I just love having it around. And I love being able to have breakfast like today. Today, I had a very simple breakfast of my bread toasted with some Kerrygold butter and some of the jam that I preserved from the blackberries that I foraged back in August. And then I also had two over medium eggs from our chickens that we have in our yard. And that right there is just so cool. Just so, so cool to me and so fulfilling. And so for me to be able to get that in one more way from our homestead is just so worth it. And of course, it also tastes delicious. So I am very excited to be able to share it with my family later in the month. So that is it for sourdough today. Um, I talked about my starter and how it's finally working. So Miss Nana Bread lives proudly in our kitchen on the counter. I'm feeding her once a day. And more often than not, I am using the discard to um, ferment my chicken food. And they're gobbling it up like crazy. Um, I have made crackers, which are delicious. I've made pizza dough, which was an experiment, and I can probably still continue to tweak, but it's definitely something that is going to make us stop buying frozen pizzas. And then in terms of bread, I still have some experimentation to do, but every loaf has still tasted wonderful. Um, I'm just fine-tuning things right now. Next week, we're going to talk about winter skincare because winter is officially coming. December 21st, I think it is, is when winter comes, um, which also means I will be doing a recap of the fall garden at that time too. And yeah, that is what's coming up for December. So I will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Girly Homesteader podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And if you want to share more in my journey, follow me on Instagram at the Girly Homesteader. <laughs>